This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. What is going on? I'm Rob Fay. Welcome to your Friday edition of Sports Bar Radio, the third day of September. This is episode number. 101 of Sports Bar Radio. Thank you to everybody getting back to me for episode number 100. Yeah, those milestones are kind of important. And uh, my thanks to Equity Guru and Jay Swing for always keeping the lights on and allowing me to do just this. All right, we got a lot of sports to get to, but today, in advance of a long weekend, before everything gets back to quote unquote normal with the kids going back to school on Tuesday, we're going to have a couple of different conversations with regards to alcohol. I'm going to talk whiskey, I'm going to talk beer, and I'm going to talk wine with three amazing people with three amazing stories. So, let me get you to the news of the day. There is one story that rises above all the rest of them. We're going to get to the VIP room, we're going to do it all, but then we're going to sit back and talk about some spirits before the show is done. So let me get you to that one story that rises above the rest. Let me get you to the lead. We've scoured the globe for the stories that matter to you. Okay, well, let's be honest, Rob picks most of the stories, so maybe they matter more to him? Anyways, pull up a chair and let our bartender pour you a cold one because there's a lot going on in your world today. So the NHL a couple of years ago did not send their talent to the 2018 Olympic Games. There was no NHL talent at the PyeongChang Games. And this was one of those things that I would assume the NHL had in their back pocket as a bargaining chip when they talked to the international officials saying, listen, we did it once, we could probably do it again if we had to, but we would sure like to be able to send our players to play in the 2022 Winter Olympics. Well, the good news, if you're a hockey fan, is they are going back. 2022 will have the NHL players competing in the Olympic men's hockey tournament for the sixth time in seven Olympic games dating back to 1998. Now you got to think that this is a big win for the IOC and the International Ice Hockey Federation who again struck the deal a little bit earlier today putting the best players in the world back on sports biggest stage and the money should follow. Now before we get into the celebration of why they are going back in 2022, let's remember what caused them not to go in 2018. The IOC president, Thomas Bach, did not want to pay certain costs back in 2018, and the NHL eventually said, listen, that's not going to work for us, and turned their back on the Olympic Games, and basically hid behind the curtain of it interrupting their season. But the CBA extension puts the Olympic participation back on the table, U.S. Hockey, Hockey Canada, NHL and their GMs all figuring that this deal would be reached and now it has been reached. Canadian coach John Cooper saying, I do take comfort in the fact that we've been through all of these different situations. I don't think there'll be anything that we haven't seen before. So, you've got your marquee event back for the Winter Games. It took eight years to get them back there, but they are back. And you have to think that this is good for everybody, considering the Olympics in Japan, the ones in Tokyo, although we saw a few great moments, obviously Japan is going to take a massive loss on this financially. What does it mean for the television rights? It is a very big piece of the puzzle. 
To know already that ESPN's in the conversation, we would likely see a combination of CBC or Sportsnet or TSN get involved. Everybody is going to be able to now go out and sell this tenfold as to what they would have been able to had the NHL not come to this resolution. So good news across the board for everybody. I would assume the players are happy. I would assume their families are happy. I would assume the NHL's going to get paid. The IOC and the international committees are going to get theirs. Everybody benefits from having the NHL players take part in the upcoming 2022 games. So good for them, good for hockey, and I just hope that it doesn't take anything away from the ladies' hockey, which has been so very good over the last couple of games as well. All right, let's get to the rest of it, shall we? We've got a lot to talk about, and then I'm going to introduce you to Graham Macaloni. He's the founder, president, and whiskey maker for Macaloni Distillers, which are some of the best whiskey makers on planet Earth, and they do a heck of a job with craft beer as well. And then we're going to get into the wine game with Kyla Ritchie and Rudy Verhoff. And the reason that I bring up those names is if you're a volleyball fan, those are two former national team players that have decided to hang up the old shin pads for the most part and get into an industry that is just as competitive, the wine game. And they are in the interior battling the smoke and the fires and yet are still making time for us here today on Sports Bar Radio. So a lot still coming your way, but let's get back to the world of sports. Let me get you into that one room of this sports bar where we package it all up for you. You, by the end of this, are going to be the smartest kid in the classroom. Let me get you caught up with everything going on in the world of sport. Your one-stop shop for everything. Let me get you into the VIP room. You knew tonight was going to be a good night, didn't you? Guys, the ladies don't want you wasting their time, so get to the point. Ten topics, ten minutes. Hold on to your drinks because we're about to bring you the entire world of sports before the DJ can pull out the vinyl for his next set. Welcome to the VIP room. Okay, let's start with a signing today. The Ottawa Senators and forward Drake Batherson coming to terms on a six-year, $29.85 million contract. That is an AAV of nearly $5 million per year. 23 years old, had 17 goals, 17 assists, and 56 games last year. That was his first full season with the Sens. His 17 goals were tied for second most on the team. General Manager Pierre Dorian saying, quote, dating to his first pro season, he has steadily progressed to the point where he is now widely considered a bona fide top-line NHL winger. He possesses a strong ability to play at both ends of the ice, is a key power play contributor, and somebody that we expect to be a prominent player for us for several years to come, period. The Senators are still a couple of years away, but they are starting to turn the corner from being the doormat of the NHL to being one of those teams that makes you raise your eyebrows and say, you know what? They're not that bad. Well, situation that was bad, and they're trying. I don't know if this is throwing good money after bad money, what have you, but the Arizona Coyotes have now submitted a bid for two pieces of land in Tempe, Arizona. They want a permanent home. It has not worked out for them where they have been out in Glendale. It has never worked in Glendale. But the Coyotes putting out a statement today saying, quote, we are pleased to have submitted a proposal to the city of Tempe. We cannot comment any further at this time, but we remain incredibly excited about this extraordinary opportunity. Now, the owner, Alex Morello, has said that he wants to keep the Coyotes in Arizona. They are searching for a temporary home right now, and it looks like it could be the Arizona Veterans Memorial Coliseum, which is on the Arizona State Fairgrounds, and that is, again, just a possibility, but it was at one point home to the Phoenix Suns and the Western Hockey Association's Phoenix Roadrunners and has about a seating capacity of 13,000 and change. I don't know. 
I just don't know if Arizona and the Coyotes make sense. I understand that they're hell-bent and they don't like relocating teams, but Tempe, to me, is just another band-aid on a bad situation. The only thing that I will say is Tempe, proximity-wise to the populace of the greater Phoenix area, makes a lot more sense. You can get to Tempe by local transit. There's buses and their rail system that goes right to the venues. So I got to think this is a last-ditch effort. And if they can get those parcels done, it's going to be two to three years to build that. But that's the only way that I think Arizona stays in the desert. To the hardwood we go, and Paul Millsap, who was a free agent this offseason, has signed a one-year deal with the Brooklyn Nets. Last year with the Denver Nuggets, averaging nine points per game, five rebounds, and nearly two assists per game. And from a signing to a trade, the Memphis Grizzlies agreed to trade forward Juancho Hernan Gomez to the Boston Celtics in exchange for Carson Edwards and Chris Dunn. And they're also going to swap picks in 2026. Now, this deal can't become official until September the 15th, when Dunn can then be traded along with other players after being traded to Boston in a separate deal earlier this month. Got to be tough for some of these players in the association. Think about this. Boston acquired Dunn last month as a part of a three-team deal with the Hawks and the Sacramento Kings. He missed all of last season because of knee and ankle issues after signing that two-year deal with the Hawks and never officially puts a Boston Celtic jersey on before he is traded to the Memphis Grizzlies. All right, to baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers are now probably preparing for life without Trevor Bauer for the remainder of the season. I think we've all known that's coming, but once again, Major League Baseball has extended that administrative leave to Trevor Bauer, and this one is going to run through September the 10th. The Dodgers pitcher, as we all know, has been accused of sexual assault against a woman who has said that Bauer choked her unconscious multiple times, sodomized her without her consent, and punched her all over her body over the course of two sexual encounters, that back in Pasadena, California, in April and in May. Now, last year's Cy Young Award winner for the National League is the highest-paid Major League player in 2021, and that's before you talk endorsements. He had a salary of nearly $40 million. And just so you know, he is continuing to get paid well, he is on this administrative lead. The last time that he's been on a mound, June the 28th, he hasn't been around the team, he hasn't been around the complex, and just for the notes, Major League Baseball began their investigation on the second day of July. They need consent from the Major League Baseball Players Association every single time that they choose to extend that administrative leave. They're not expected to make a decision on any suspensions until after the DA has decided on possible charges. So in the meantime, Trevor Bauer is making his $40 million for this 2021 season. Ain't that something? Well, the Chicago Cubs, who have had a dismal season, they started to dismantle that team that only a couple of years ago won the World Series. More bad news. David Ross, their manager and their president of baseball operations, Jed Hoyer, have both tested positive for COVID-19. Spokesperson for the team says Ross and Hoyer are feeling fine and quarantining, and both are, in fact, vaccinated. This coming from the organization, Ross doesn't feel anything at all. He feels completely normal. He's frustrated that he cannot manage this team. He'll do what he can at home. Cubs also saying that there is no indication at this time of any further COVID-19 cases in the clubhouse. Toronto Blue Jays, winners of six of their past 10, still trying to hang around in that wildcard conversation. 13 games out of first place when it comes to the division title, but when it comes to the wildcard, they are five games back of Boston, who holds on to that second wildcard spot. Only problem here, 132 games already behind them. They've only got about 30 or so to make up ground on Seattle, Oakland, and also catch Boston 
to get into the postseason. It is hard to leapfrog one or two, much less three or four, but the Blue Jays are going to try their best. Teams around them are all winning as well. Seattle has won two in a row. They're 72 and 62. Mariners are 10 games above 500, and very few people talking about them right now. But again, the Toronto Blue Jays getting ready to kickstart a very big series, taking on the Athletics a little later on tonight. And the reason it's a big series is, as mentioned, the A's are three games ahead of them for that final wildcard spot in the American League. Over in the National League, what a dogfight it is for those wildcard spots. Right now, Cincinnati, the Padres, Philadelphia, and St. Louis, four teams are all separated by two and a half games. And finally, to the gridiron, former NFL player Keith McCants found dead yesterday in his home in Florida. Looks like it might have been, according to some, suspected drug overdose. He was 53 years old. This coming from the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office in an email that stated McCants was dead inside his house, where others made a 911 call. Quote, it appears it was a drug overdose, but we are waiting confirmation from the medical examiner's office. This is still in open investigation. McCants was a linebacker, the fourth overall pick back in 1990 when he was taken by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, played his college football at the University of Alabama, and it was a long battle for McCants as he battled drugs. Shortly after his career in 1995, he was arrested several times for possession and drug paraphernalia. But let's hope in addition to all of those negative things that people remember, after he retired from football, he became the first black Marine police officer in Alabama at the State Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. Again, he passes away at the age of 53. All right, let's take our break here. When we come back, we're going to switch gears. I want to get you into the world of spirits today. We're going to talk a little bit about whiskey, beer, and wine. And no, this isn't paid. This is just something that I thought was kind of cool because... Two former national volleyball players have decided to trade in their shin pads to grow wine in one of the most beautiful regions in this world. On the other side, you're going to meet Rudy Verhoff and Kyla Ritchie, who are going to share their journey from the court to the vineyards. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio. As always, brought to you by Equity Guru. We will be back after this. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen. This segment is brought to you by The Gaming Stadium, Canada's pioneering leaders in online esports tournaments, specializing in tools for league operators, tournament streaming, venue management, and community building. TGS has become a global leader in esports events, sponsorship, and production. With regular online tourneys for Fortnite, Rainbow Six, Call of Duty, Rocket League, and more, visit www.thegamingstadium.com to sign up and play. For investor information, check out the ticker symbol TGS. Welcome back to Sports Bar Radio with host Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity.Guru. First and foremost, guys, I have to say, when I found out that it was Kyla Ritchie and Rudy Verhoof that I was going to be interviewing, I almost kind of had to do a double take because here I am thinking that we're going to sit down and talk wine, and then I thought we're going to talk volleyball, and then I find out we get the opportunity to talk both. So thanks for doing this, guys. How are you? Great, Rob. Thanks for having us. Where do I find you guys today? We're in Penticton. Um, we're, uh, we haven't moved to the Okanagan, so we're in a temporary setup at an RV park. Um, but we're making it work, and yeah, we are opening Valley Commons this weekend, which we're pretty excited about. So you're opening up a brand new label in a region that is absolutely renowned, 
and we'll get into all of that. But walk me through, I guess this is kind of both a, a blessing and a curse right now because it's a really exciting time for the both of you in a region right now that's kind of looking over its shoulder to make sure that the smoke and the fires aren't trickling too close. Yeah, we came up just a few days ago actually and the night before was the Skaha Bluffs fire, which is right where our RV is parked right underneath that. So that was a little concerning, but we got up here and um, of course, firefighters have done a fantastic job at making sure that it's not coming into the city. Um, but certainly it's it's been a very eventful summer for every single business and especially for the wine industry. So we kind of jumped in at a very uh, unique, memorable time. So it's, it's definitely been an adventure to say the least such a tightly knit industry and you guys are very familiar with teamwork i would imagine from your times on the court so can you walk me through maybe somebody or a, an experience that you've had where you realize you're not alone in this yeah i mean obviously when we launched and our team started to uh, come together we were super lucky to kind of inherit a, a really fantastic team and we felt really welcomed by our neighbors you know we're obviously in the district wine village there's 16 wineries that are going to be in there uh, and everybody's been helping us out with, you know, things like licensing and getting the building ready and our furniture. And it's just, a, it is a really strong community feel at District Wine Village. And it feels kind of like a team, you know, like we're all in this together. We're chatting about, okay, how long are we going to be open for? What are our hours going to be? What's winter going to look like? How can we all work together to make this such a great place to experience wine? And so we've, we've loved uh, getting to know our neighbors at District Wine Village. You know, everyone's kind of in the same boat. And we all have come from different backgrounds, but now we're all here together. And that's kind of what like a team is too. Like our professional experience the last 10 years, we would show up in a country that we wouldn't know how to speak the language uh, with people from all over the world and show up. And now you have one unified goal. And that, I kind of get that feeling at District Wine Village as well. Mm -hmm. And we did um, acquire Stoneboat Vineyards um, in the spring. So we've been really busy kind of working on both brands. And I think Rudy alluded to the fact that we kind of also inherited the Stoneboat team and we're arriving on the scene after our professional season in France, kind of thrown into this and meeting our Stoneboat staff and employees that we've had, of course, some relationship with, but it's all been through Zoom, Skype, texting. So we got to meet everybody and our neighbors, um, especially at Here's the Thing Vineyard and the Bartier Bros were so welcoming and we're just like knock on the door whenever you need call us if a tractor breaks down or if you need more people like we'll come and help no problem so that i think really alleviated some of the stress that we felt coming in as newcomers like how is everybody going to react to what i feel is just a couple of kids coming into this like pretty prestigious industry so i think just having that warm welcome from our neighbors um, at stoneboat and then the collective atmosphere that we have at district wine village has been so so phenomenal you know what i think you have that is actually a distinct advantage uh in addition to youth is the fact that you guys have both traveled the world i mean i look at your resumes and rudy you were just in india a couple of years ago and i can't even i can't even imagine you were able to fit all your stamps kyla in one passport because <laughs> I, I mean just even in the last couple of years i mean france puerto rico peru indonesia greece i mean i would like to think that as crazy as this industry that you're getting into right now is there is a definite commonality between no matter where you go in the world, everybody talks wine. Yeah, we, we felt that a lot actually this year in France. So we were living just outside of Paris and Rudy actually found that lots of his teammates were already creating wine cellars. So we're hoping that, you know, this kind of spurs on um, that inspiration. But certainly we've wanted to kind of create that 
in the middle of Valley Commons as like kind of our theme and our inspiration towards how European cultures especially create such amazing connections over food and wine. And we thought like with that slow atmosphere, dinners or drinks last just hours and hours. Everybody's invited, everybody's welcome. We took inspiration from all of these places, all of these cultures that we've experienced for so many years. And we, we wanted to bring that into what we're creating here. Whose idea was it for Valley Commons? I mean, I, if memory serves me correct, that it means where we gather. So who was it that looked at the other person and said, you know what, I think this is, this is where we should go with this. I wish we had that clarity. Um, the naming process was actually so challenging because at the end of the day, I said, we could name it anything we want and we're just gonna run with that. But we, we had hired and we were working with a team, Glassford & Walker, to help kind of create ah. this brand. So we went through a naming process for months this past year while Rudy and I were overseas, um, along with Rudy's dad and uncle, who are also part of our um, our business partners. So Glassford & Walker would definitely were the brains behind that. I wish it was as easy as me having a dream that this came to fruition and came to me in the middle of the night. That would have saved a lot of um, <laughs> heartache and agony. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, they did a fantastic job and it's the tagline that's actually where we gather. Again, kind of tying into the celebration around food and wine. So that's kind of just what we want to emulate in our winery. Can I talk a little bit more about the fact that you guys did this from abroad? Because yeah. I know how it is, I, how difficult it is to start any industry. But the fact that you were doing this in the middle of a pandemic from parts unknown around the world. I mean, there's got to be a story here where you're thinking to yourself, did we pick the best time or the worst time? Or where were these moments where you guys looked at each other as a couple and said, oh, my God. Too many stories. And we do that every day. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the... What actually helped is that everyone was now used to operating online. And so it wasn't weird when we were setting up our business and we hadn't met our entire team in person until six months after we started. But that was just now everyone's more accustomed to that. Even, you know, of course, the older generation as well as they're feeling comfortable operating online. So for us, we knew that, uh, you know, the schedule of, of being an athlete, you do have a lot of downtime. So we were anticipating spending a lot of our downtime when we were playing, uh, working on the business and getting things set up. So, you know, there's always a lot of legwork and some advice we got was don't quit your day job until you can, you know, actually sell product. And so um, that was a bit of the challenge this year, as any startup is. Um, you have to, you know, put in the sweat equity to uh, get things to a point where, where you can launch. And we're, uh, we're just days away now. So we're really excited. If my memory serves me correct, Stoneboat had a really good run about five or six years ago with their Pinots. Like that was what they were known for. And they had awards and accolades. And it was almost looking like your resume, whether it was the Olympics or the World Championships <laughs> or the Pan Ams. They had a pretty good run as well. But over the last couple of years, that's kind of subsided. Do you feel that maybe you can reinvigorate and re-inspire this brand that at one point was definitely amongst the industry leaders? Yeah, I mean, when you look at Stoneboat, you you see this original one of these historic brands, right? That uh, started with one of the original growers in the valley. Like the Martinic family was essential for where we are today in the wine industry in British Columbia. They're a key integral part of bringing us to where we are. And we felt that this brand had a really strong history, just is ready for a little more, um, whether it's investment or energy or youth. It was It was just ready for us to, okay, let's look at the good things that we have here. Obviously the wine is killer. 
Um, there's no doubt about it. The winemaker has been continuing to own his skills and, and it, each vintage is better and better depending on the year, of course. And we really felt strongly that we could add in a little bit here and there, a little more investment, a little more, more energy to really bring it to that next stage. You know, being located on the Black Sage was essential for us. You know, we wanted to be in the South Okanagan. We wanted to be in prime growing conditions. And, uh, you know, obviously the Black Sage lends itself to a lot more Bordeaux style varietals like Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc. And, uh, but we're a Pinot house in the middle of that. So it's a bit of a differentiation. We believe that it's great growing conditions for our Pinot Noir and for our Pinotage. And uh, we want to share that with the world and, and add a little more energy to where Stoneboat has gotten so far. You know, it takes a lot of work to get to where it was. And now we're, we're looking forward to building on that legacy. Well, the Martinuk family was in nuclear medicine and pharmaceuticals. And now all of a sudden you've got two world-class athletes that are taking this on. It just makes me realize, and this is why I love wine, you don't necessarily have to be from a certain mold, that you can come in with fresh ideas, a vibrancy and an energy that you just mentioned that I think is still needed in this industry as you kind of pass it down to the next generation. What do you think you bring to this collaboration with the people that you have from all of your experiences in sport that makes you say, you know what, we can make a go of this? As you had mentioned before, I think just being able to experience the world. We've seen so many different places. We've seen a lot of, you know, different opinions and how different cultures work that we can kind of bring it back to inspire these new changes. And especially this past year with all of the challenges that we faced through COVID, a lot of businesses have had to pivot either to online sales or think of a new fresh way to get their product out into the world. So I think that just because of our experience that we've had being overseas, living in different cultures, we didn't speak the language, we've had so many roadblocks in our life that we had to, I guess, research and figure out a way to get around those in order to succeed and keep going, even within our, within our past athletic careers, that the challenges that we face here now in the wine industry are, of course, different, but it's a similar way at moving forward like something's coming up or you're kind of a little bit stagnant and people are getting a little bit comfortable with where they're at and I think that we just have a few new things up our sleeves tricks up our sleeves what we've seen overseas what what we've seen work and kind of maybe I think just a newer perspective from all the places that we've seen I'll build on that I think it's really interesting because we don't have this history in the wine industry like many folks do coming into it uh, we definitely have a fresh perspective on what we see can work and what and what we uh, can bring to the table. So I think it's uh, it's one of our strengths in our group of companies is we always are very aware of our shortcomings. And so we bring in people to surround us, you know, like we want to surround ourselves with the right people to help us on that stage. And then what Kyle and I can bring to kind of shake things up a little bit in a strategic way, I think is a really kind of cool dynamic team. And we're not stuck in one certain path or one mm -hmm. certain lane. We're, we're open to new ideas. And yeah, I think that's, that's gonna be a strength of our team. So a big week for Valley Commons. What do you hope to accomplish when finally you pull the curtain back and everybody realizes that this is kind of the new kid on the block? What's the messaging? We want to have a kind of a come as you are attitude. Of course, we're new to the industry. I want everybody coming into the taste room have the freedom to ask questions about the wine. We had to learn everything in the past year and there's so much to know. So we also want to pass on that knowledge. As Rudy said, we're not experts quite yet. Hopefully one day we will be, but 
we are constantly learning. I want people to kind of come in and feel invigorated by our space and just taste the wine. We want to highlight what's in the South Okanagan, of course. We think it's just the most phenomenal wine region. And I'm not just saying that out of bias, <laughs> out of a biased view. It's just so great. And for Valley Commons, it is the bridge between the Fraser Valley and the Okanagan Valley. And we want to kind of share in that abundance of what nature is offering, what we're pulling off of the vineyard, how it's created, have people ask about where their food comes from, where their wine comes from, and just, I guess, get a little bit more in touch with nature or the process of wine. I think that's something that we can kind of pull and create into it. But just, yeah, having that kind of relaxed attitude, having a place to kind of connect with new friends, family, and old friends too. I think approachability is such a big piece of the puzzle and you guys absolutely you just you feel welcoming and I think that's going to be a really big X factor for you guys over the next couple of months and I actually am really excited for the wine industry because I think as the world changes there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be opening up to this experience I think we've learned to become closer with our family and spend more time with people that maybe we didn't because the world has changed and I think wine is a really big piece of that puzzle. So all I can say is Kyle and Rudy, good luck, but more than anything, stay safe. And I am a huge fan of what you guys are doing. So Valley Commons is gonna be right front and center for me. I want to share your story. So please call me anytime if there's anything I could do for you and just stay safe. That's all I can ask. I, <laughs> I, I know where you are right now and I just wanna make sure that all is well by the time we get into the fall. So thank you for making time for me today. Thank you, Thanks, Rob. Rob. Just love those kind of conversations. And you know what? We're not done because on the other side of the break, I'm going to introduce you to the founder, the president, and the whiskey maker from Macaloni Distillers. He is the boss, Graham Macaloni. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk whiskey and craft beer. If you're a spirits guy or girl, this is your show. I'm Rob Fade. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio, as always, brought to you by Equity Guru. You're listening to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay, brought to you by Equity Guru. Equity Guru, investment information for millennials and madmen. This segment is brought to you by Cybin Inc., a pharmaceutical biotech company running clinical trials on using psilocybin thin strips to treat major depression. Their stock has more than doubled in the past month as the company rolls from milestone to milestone. And the company now has four formulations rolling through clinical trials as they uplist to the New York Stock Exchange. Their ticker symbol, CYBN. For more information, visit www.equity.guru. Did you lose your seat? That's okay. I have a better one up front. Welcome back to Sports Bar Radio with Rob Fay. Very rarely do I get an opportunity to talk to somebody from this world, but I am going to talk with a person who calls himself not just a founder, not just a president, but maybe most importantly, a whiskey maker. Do I call you Dr. Graham McElhoney? How are you today, Graham? I'm very good, Rob, and, and the name is Graham, and uh, you don't have to worry about PhD because it just stands for piled higher and deeper. <laughs> Is that how the last year and a half has felt for you? <laughs> it's been a roller coaster, um, and and it's been a pure passion project all my life. As since a wee lad working in the black and white whiskey factory, I've always wanted to be a whiskey maker. And so, about five years ago, I really was able to to start that dream after all these years. 
you say all these years, like you started late in the game. And a lot of people, if I'm reading that right, a lot of people get to a point in their life where they say, ah, you know what, it's just never going to happen. What made you at that stage say, you know what, I'm still going to take a kick at the can at this? I think it's the, I mean, I've always loved fermentation and, uh, and fermentation is used for so many different things. So it is a, a passion I've got as a scientist and as a consumer. And um, really the whiskey connoisseurship, um, just really enjoying those single malt whiskies and, and Irish whiskies too, actually, um, um, has really kept that passion burning, if you will. So yes, I worked in other fermentation areas, making, believe it or not, um, other Pfizer products, not the, not the COVID vaccine, but antibiotics for Pfizer and vaccine, different vaccines for um, Eli Lilly. So I've done all this different type of fermentation, but the whiskey connoisseurship that kept me on the kind of straight and narrow and, and made me realize, hey, what I really want to do is use fermentation to make world-class whiskey and also our poor dogs beers, our craft beers. Before we get to the beer, let's just, and I, I'm going to be completely honest to those who are listening, I'm going to have to read this off because it is a laundry list of successes over the past years. Acknowledgement from the Whiskey Bible in 2019, 2020, 93 points is a really, you don't get into the 90s very often, so 93 is really respectable. The World Whiskey Awards, you've been a category winner, you've been the world's best new make, you've been a Canadian single malt recipient. I mean, this is a like a laundry list of success over the last three years, and yet the world has kind of been off kilter for the last couple of years and you haven't missed a beat. Yeah, and I think it's been a scary time for everyone. And for us, you know, because I actually, my wife, Sal Burton, we uh, spent a couple of decades in Edmonton, but we moved out to Victoria to tap into the tourism piece here uh, because whiskey tourism is an international thing. You think about the Scotch whiskey trails, the Irish trail, the Kentucky trail. And when COVID kicked in, you know, we were getting cruise ships, busloads of people from cruise ships, all the locals were coming. COVID kicked in and everything died a death. And unfortunately we had to furlough about a third of our staff. It was really scary times. The BC government has been amazing with the COVID programs, very supportive. And um, Bonnie Henry's uh, an angel. It, and BC locals have been incredible. And they've come out of the woodwork because we opened up a beer garden uh, where people could be socially distant. And, um, and the beer garden with the Twa Dogs beers took off to the extent that we had to bring all those staff back very quickly. So, you know, thanks to the locals, you know, tourism died a death and the locals have really come out and supported local businesses, which is very humbling and really appreciated. I can tell you Bonnie Henry needs a compliment here and there. She's had a pretty tough week where I've been standing. So uh, I, it's nice to hear that business, especially small business, is benefiting from the BC government's uh, direction. And I don't speak to NDP or Liberal or any of that stuff. I just simply say when somebody's doing good for somebody else, uh, I'll take it. Let's talk a bit about the beer. Before we get to the Highland Games, which is actually really near and dear to my heart, it was a, a large part of the reason that I was like, I can't wait to talk to Graham. But first, let's get into the beer game, because I know that whiskey is its own industry, but so too is beer, especially in the craft market. Introduce us to your beer, and why is it also being so very well-received? So, so, um, <laughs> so when I came out to um, Canada back in 89, uh, they really, and, and that was in Alberta that time, there's very little, hardly any craft beer. 
And so, and I found a home from home in Canada. I just loved when I moved to Canada, how welcoming Canadians were. And they'd hand me a, 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 a big brand beer. Maybe I shouldn't mention the names of the big brands <laughs> that used to be dominant then. And I would drink this stuff and I think, oh my God, this is bloody awful. But I couldn't say that to folks because people were so kind. Um, and I was so desperate for some craft beer. Anyway, Big Rock came along in Alberta and that was a bit of a saviour. But when I moved out to British Columbia, it is incredible out here. Like the craft beer explosion in British Columbia has just been amazing and there's incredible variety. So when we're building the distillery, um, I realised that I could have fun in the beer sector too, because when you build a distillery, you've basically built a brewery at the same time. Okay, now I can really enjoy both passions at the same time, um, and and be a player within within this incredible culture of craft beer within around British Columbia. So, so in essence, as I think as you know, Rob, it's, it's all about the variety with the craft beer, right? So, you, we brought in a, a, a the head brewer from Rebellion in Saskatchewan and in Regina, and he'd grown that over about a ten year period one of the best in, in that province and you give him the latitude to do the beers that he that he wants and that he feels that the locals will really be engaged by so you're always putting out these brewer specials and seasonal specials and partnering with some local businesses like we do the 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 local Saanich fire uh, brigade we do a fundraiser with them for Movember and then we did a saison beer with a, a local saison farmer. So oh, we even do, believe it or not, we actually work with uh, up in Barclay Sound. There's a local company here in Sydney that collaborate with the First Nations up in Barclay Sound to farm seaweed. And so we got some of their seaweed and we made a, a seaweed infused beer as well. So Isn't that awesome? Fun, right. It's all about the variety and the fun with the beer. Well, you know, I've always been told that it's one part science, one part crazy. And that's how you come up with good beers. And, you know, it's funny in Vancouver, there's actually a pretty good gin scene right now. And you talk about how they barrel it and, and, and coming up with all these quirky ideas. And you mentioned seaweed and kelp. And these are things right now that people are hot for. And it used to be where you would see an ingredient that wasn't just the usual barley and just the regular four suspects. And you would steer away from that. Whereas now people look for something that's off the beaten path. And I would assume the scientist in you probably enjoys this project because of that. So I've got a bachelor's degree, a master's degree and a PhD in science and engineering. And for all of that education, what I love about beer and whiskey is you'll never control it. There's, that, there's always this artisanal component so you can use science and the understanding of what's going on in the background to keep a consistent quality, but you'll never totally control. You could never re-engineer a whiskey or a beer from scratch. It's still that. It takes the great local ingredients, the craft of the whiskey maker or the, the, or the master brewer and, and, and great equipment as well. And it's, it's when you bring that magic together with the creativity that, that you're able to, to you know, make world-class products. Okay, let's, before we, I want to circle back on that because I think there's something there that's really intriguing to the naive ear like myself, but I want to talk about the upcoming Highland Games because I would imagine that this is something that's near and dear to your heart. So my grandparents grew up in Fergus, Ontario, home of the Highland Games, and I'll never forget parking the car with the family and walking towards the games and you could hear the bagpipes the second the car door open and you realize that you were about to be a part of something special. It's much more than just caber toss, isn't it? Yeah, totally. And, and, and I'm exactly like you, Rob. I remember, uh, well, I can hardly remember, but my parents told me that 
as a as a wee lad on the Scottish coast on a summer holiday, um, on the beach, and I, was, I think it was only five or six at the time. And apparently, I disappeared for an hour or something, and my parents were in a panic. And it's because there was a piper about a mile down the beach playing the bagpipes, and it was just I wandered off and and I had to go find this guy. So I'm exactly like you. I love I love that aspect of it. So yeah, the Highland Games. I mean. I, Maybe that's part of why Canada is like a home from home. There's such a strong, vibrant, celebratory Scottish culture here in Canada. And if anything, even more so back then in Scotland, right? When you leave home, you celebrate your heritage even more, perhaps, right? And so it's been a joy here to... I volunteered in the Victoria Highland Games board for about seven years and then had to back away just because the, the beer and whiskey business got too busy. But we sponsored both the Victoria Games and the the, the, the BC uh, Highland Games in Coquitlam that we're talking about now. When I bring up Highland Games, and I've had this conversation a couple of times, everybody immediately talks about Braveheart and who can flip the rock the farthest and just the basic stuff. But I do encourage people to go out and experience all of it because the food, the dancing, the pageantry, this is something that I would assume that your brand wants to be a part of for years to come. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I just love it. And it's important. I mean, I think the wonderful thing about Canada and Canadians is we have this multi-ethnic culture and everyone's free to celebrate that, that culture. And, and you can cross cultures and, you know, there's a Greek fest here in town at the moment, right? Go to that, right? Mm-hmm. games And celebrate that multi-ethnic sort of um, um, aspect. So, so that is why we sponsor the games, right? Both with the beer and the whiskey, because if people don't turn out for the games and it's a rainy day, they could run out of money and they might actually not be able to run the games the next year. So it's really, really important that folks come out, even if it's a grey day, because there's a bunch of tents, there's a bunch of marquee tents. You can disappear in and do a whiskey tasting. You can disappear in and see how kilts are made, or you can go away into these marquee tents. Or if it's bright and sunny, you can be out in the beer garden, etc., and listening to the bagpipes. So, so it is really important to come out and support the games because they are keeping the culture alive. Correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe we're both biased on this one, but the bagpipe to me is one of the most intoxicating sounds you'll ever come across. I was in Halifax last year. My wife received her master's, and we went out, and then we did a day where we just went out to the ocean and saw the you know, the different things, the sights, the sounds, and there was one lone bagpiper who was standing on the rocks by the ocean, and I couldn't take my eyes off of it. It was the most gripping emotion that I had felt in years. And there's just something about that sound that takes you to a thousand different places, no? And I think it is such a powerful, emotive sound that at one point when the Highlands were rebelling against the British government, the Battle of Culloden, after that, they actually banned the bagpipes. The British government banned the bagpipes Hmm. because they they were so emotive at rallying the clans to war. So it does, it's it's like it's it just goes to your heart and 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 you know your blood races, your heart races when you hear the bagpipes. But there's a wee bit of, of something with the pipes for everyone, because on the one hand you've got the lone piper and, and he does the classical or she does the classical music, which is called the Pibrach, and it's a very rhythmical, um uh, repetitive kind of a uh uh, uh soulful kind of a music that you can sit, sit there and listen to it and reflect on things or you can go to the massed pipe bands where you get literally hundreds of drummers and pipers 
all work, all marching in a mass, and that is just really invigorating. So, so there's a wee bit of everything for 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 the bagpipe enthusiasts for sure, and the newbies to it. Could you say that you've ever created a product that elicits that same emotion? Like, come on, there's got to be one beer or one batch that you've put together where you said, "Man, I finally nailed it. I finally got the one that's for me." That's a challenging one, that because, like, whether you're a craft beer enthusiast or a whiskey connoisseur, I think if you ask anyone, you know, it's really hard to choose one product that that you're totally in love with because we love the variety, right? Mm. Um, so you know, if it's a if it's a cooler, damper day, I might go to it, or I've been outdoors, right, at the Highland Games, I might have a wee hip flask of peaty, smoky whiskey, right. Um, or if it's an aperitif before before a meal, I might have a more sherry influenced whiskey, and the same with the beers too. But that that kind of you know the, the emotive part and, and and the joy of it is why, if you if you don't mind me saying, is you know the name of the beer is Two Dogs. Mm-hmm. That is Scots language for two dogs, um, and so the the story behind that that really for me attaches me to the beer brand is that's a Rabbi Burns poem, right? Robert Burns, who did Old Lang Syne that we all sing at New Year, he wrote a poem, Two Dogs, and it's about a rich dog and a poor dog, right? A rich man's dog and a poor man's dog meet together and compare notes on what it's like to live with a pauper or a lord, a laird as we call it. And what they concluded on this was, you have all the same highs and lows in life, whether you live rich or poor. And the poem goes on to say and conclude well, that you really have to celebrate life for its highs and lows, and what better way to get to know your fellow human than over a pint of beer. And that's a Twa Dogs poem. And that's why we chose it as a sentiment behind our beers, and you know, the whiskies are Macaulay's whiskies, because it's about bringing people together to celebrate life. And that's really, I think, the essence of craft beer and, and whiskey. Well, fun fact, I was born on January the 25th, which is, in fact, Robbie Burns Day. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's how you got your name. (laughs) Uh, It might be. I don't know. It could have gone a couple of different ways. But I will say this, Graham, what a pleasure. I I feel like one day we could sit down and have one of those Twa Dog beers and some whiskey and just hang out. I'm not going to throw any cabers, but I definitely hope our paths cross at some point. This conversation was fantastic for me, and I hope we can do it again. Uh, you're very welcome. And yeah, you know, maybe to, to the listeners, uh, you, you open invitation for you to come out to Victoria, right? And, and give us a shout when you're coming over. Um, if anyone does want to try the beers and whiskies, yeah, come to the games. Or you can actually buy them online. And we do free shipping for a couple of bottles of whiskey across the whole of Canada, actually. So people can try the whiskies anywhere in Canada. At victoriacaledonian.com. What a cool show today. We learned a little bit about wine. We learned a little bit about beer, of the craft variety, of course, and some whiskey, and we talk sports as well. That is the mission of Sports Bar Radio. We should do that more often. Anyways, I want to thank everybody with Equity Guru. My thanks to Chris Perry. My thanks to Galen, Asan, JP Chung, and the irreplaceable Priscilla Choi. My thanks as well to Jay Swing, my producer extraordinaire, brother from another mother. And don't forget, we are just over a week away from NEW1, Nation Extreme wrestling one we have tickets for our 2 p.m show go to nationextremewrestling.com and uh enjoy the chaos it's out of the gaming stadium in richmond no better place to ever watch something like this i can't believe we secured that place for our first ever event so again go to nationextremewrestling.com and grab the last few tickets that we have 
I hope you had a great day. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy this long weekend. And let's get together on Tuesday, shall we? I'm Rob Fade. You've been listening to Sports Bar Radio, presented to you as always by Equity Guru. Have yourself a fantastic weekend. Sports Bar Radio was brought to you by Equity Guru, investment information for the new generation. Visit us at equity.guru and let's make some money together. Please note, any mention of companies on this podcast is part of a promotional campaign, and the information you hear should be a part of extensive due diligence. As well, always get advice from an accredited financial advisor before you make any investment decision. Protect yourself.